Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, I'm back where I belong, Studio A, from the world headquarters of Dorsia Films in cloudy Seattle, Washington. Oh, we're name-dropping our film production companies now, are we? (laughs) I figure a hundred and... 40 episodes in might be a good time <laughs> to make it clear that this isn't our only gig. <laughs> oh, I think that's clear, Adam. <laughs> I think most people, uh, due to the quality of our program, understand that this is not the best skill that we have. <laughs> Anybody that listens has had a reflexive urge to send us an email that says, don't quit your day job. Or... Uh, you guys need some help? <laughs> I can help you. <laughs> ben, one of the one of the viewers who really helps us a lot is the one and only Bill Tilly. Yeah. And uh, he dropped a couple of boxes in the mail for us. You want to open up some mail? Let's open up some mail. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. Bill Tilly didn't need to do this. He already does so much. Bill Tilly, one of the few who actually has our real home addresses. <laughs> That's how much we trust Bill. Alright, I'm cutting into this box. So we both got boxes here. Yeah. I wonder if yours is bigger than mine. Oh my god, Adam. I can see through some uh, bubble wrap here. Oh, I haven't gotten... Whoa! Oh, man. Holy shit! Damn. Oh, wow. So, what I have here, Adam, is a Previa-style shuttlecraft. I guess this is... This is the like newer model. It's not the bunk bed. It's not the Previa. It's the kind of. It's the it's the upgraded Previa. It's the upgraded Previa. It's got a, this. The, you know how the shuttles all have their own names. This one is named Harrison. It is from the Entrepreneur. Mine is named Pranica. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Oh, let's, the the hood pops up inside. We've got Riker William T at the uh, at the helm. Oh, oh and wow. he's in his uh, season one and two uniform. Oh, my my Riker is kind of torn up. He's got uh, he's got a torn uniform. Oh, has he got dino damage? Yeah, I've also got an action jacket Picard. What? And he's perfectly sized for this shuttle. I have a <laughs> fur-clad Ferengi in the back of mine. <laughs> I actually had this guy when I was a kid. You had a furry Ferengi? Yeah, I did. Hey, wow, a- there's like, uh, there's places for the action figures to sit in the back. There's like, uh, there's little seat belts. Man, this is awesome. Whoa, you're, how did you make the sound? There's little buttons oh! on Oh! <laughs> we might not record an episode today. Let's just let's instead of recording an episode today, just play with these. <laughs> ben, there's wheels on the bottom so you can scoot it around. Oh, that's great. Oh man, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna set it up here with uh, with my Ferengi, and I'm gonna throw in Pee Wee and Dirty Dog, the other two action figures I keep around. I'm gonna try to remember to post a picture of this on Twitter when when this episode comes up. Letter from Bill inside says, Adam, you get after the holodeck torn uniform, Riker, (laughs) and action jacket Picard. Mine says, Ben, you get season two all business Riker and a Ferengi buddy. (laughs) This is just the greatest gift. Wow. I love the customization. It is so cool. And like, 
the font is perfect. It's Star Trek font, so it looks like it's from the Entrepreneur. It looks like it's Shuttlecraft, Franica, and Harrison. <laughs> it's perfect. It's so good. Bill Tilly, wow. you have officially sealed yourself in the... I mean, as if you are, hadn't already, you have sealed yourself in the canon of great all-time friends of the pod. Hall of Fame. He's, uh, he's on the mountain. Indeed. Wow. Wow. My wife is going to be really <laughs> upset about this. <laughs> if you uh, if you if you hear some rattling on the show today, it's just because I'm fidgeting with my shuttlecraft. Oh, really so doesn't great. take much to thrill me. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bill. Bill, you're the greatest. Wow. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, we can't play with our toys for the next hour. Uh, we have a show to do. Yeah. You want to get to it, Ben? Yeah, let's do it's it. It's only right that we record the program we're here to record. It's season six, episode 23, Rightful Air. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. This is another one of those first shift taking over from third shift opens where Data is, like, given a little update on... What's what's happening on the ship to Riker as he as he comes on to the bridge and they look around and they notice that Worf is conspicuously absent from uh, showing up to work on time. He's a guy with a reputation for being punctual. Yeah, and uh, so they're they're really worried about him, right? Like, I mean, like they call they call down to Worf's quarters and he doesn't answer. Yeah, it isn't a half day or anything like that. The response is not. Let's get a medical team. It's let's get a security team. Go down there and see what's going on. I'm surprised they just didn't call a door guy. Like guessing <laughs> that he was just stuck inside his quarters because oh, he somebody, couldn't open it. Somebody forgot to. Uh, <laughs> Did you notice the guy that was standing like at Worf Station behind behind Riker and Data while they're having this conversation? It's totally another uh, mid fifties year old ensign. Yeah, and. He is fascinated by the camera. He cannot look away. <laughs> he is conspicuously inconspicuous back there. <laughs> he's he's acting like a guy who doesn't think he's in frame. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like he's staring, you know, he's just doing all of the things an extra should not be doing. He's got that fun touch of gray, like uh, he could he could use a little bit of just for Menson. <laughs> yeah. Well, they go down there, and uh, Worf has turned his quarters into a full-blown, you know, like, temple-slash-sweat lodge. Yeah. Candles, there's incense. Yeah, they open the door, and smoke just sort of pours out. <laughs> the, uh... Like he's the, Samson from Half-Baked. The dulcet tones of Bob Marley <laughs> leak into the hall, and, uh... We get a real intense, like Worf is sweating and sitting there like chanting to himself, and we get a really intense crossed Worf eyes to theme. Damaging or otherwise dismantling a smoke detector (laughs) is always going to be a bad idea. That's why we've used this modified Torx screw to secure our smoke detector here on The Entrepreneur. Most people won't have this screwdriver that it'll deter most tampering. In addition to being a great danger to your family... It's also a federal offense to tamper with a smoke detector in either a house or a commercial aircraft. We're not going to pass the inspection unless we get these smoke detectors set up properly. We get our first cross-eyed to commercial bin. Yeah. Worf is fucking sweaty. His <laughs> loaf is dripping. Yeah, they like they definitely brought the uh, brought the spritzer on set and spritzed down Worf's loaf. If there was ever any question. About how glued on that loaf is to Michael Dorn. Those questions yeah. are answered. Like, yeah. I thought for sure that that was not the sort of thing you could swim in. That is not a water-soluble loaf. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's what do you think is going on here? Is he, like, in a trance, or is he going nuts? Or why does he ignore the when they when they radio down to him? I don't think experimenting with carbon monoxide poisoning is a good idea. Yeah. I think he's almost dead. 
you would think that the climate control system on the entrepreneur would have warned them about all <laughs> all of the fire, all of the open flames in worst quarters. It's a lot, got to be a lot like a submarine. Like fire has got to be one of the most dangerous things on a starship. Yeah. What they uh, what they should have done is open that door and had Denzel do a shoulder roll over the table to hit the uh, to hit the button that turns on the fire suppressant system. Now would be a great time for Picard to do an emergency action message. Con radio receiving emergency action message. Recommend alert one. Recommend alert one. Yeah, he's gonna test the readiness of the. Well, you know that's kind of like a Jellico move more than a Picard move. Yeah. So the deal is, like, Worf explains to Picard, he's just been in a real funk ever since his birthright episode. Does this have something to do with the Klingons you rescued from Karaya 4? I guess it became more meaningful to him in so doing. And uh, so, I was so, shocked that they did a mid-season callback. I know. Most of these it's episodes like, are so bodily. They started going into this backstory, and I'm like, what are you guys talking about? You're not supposed to be self-referential. <laughs> You're not supposed to be aware of a thing that happened a few weeks ago. Picard chews him out. On your feet, Lieutenant. Yeah, he starts really pissed. Like, he, he comes in, and I can't think of a time that Picard's made somebody stand at attention. That wasn't a kid who had just jaked a shuttle. <laughs> he only Yo. ever seems to be mad at kids. Yeah, I guess he was mad at, at Wesley that one time. Wesley was trying to cover up the death of a friend. One of Picard's first questions is like, why didn't you just do this on the holodeck? <laughs> and Worf's re response is something like, well, uh, that smoke can't fuck me up the way that this smoke can. Everything had to be real if Kalos were to appear. Like, And just thinking about like the amount of, of doobage you would need to bring down to the holodeck to hotbox <laughs> a volume that big. <laughs> you know? Like, come on! I'm on a I'm on a officer's budget here. You know, yeah. I can't I can't swing that kind of that kind of. You also don't want to be seen walking through the corridor with your works. <laughs> I bet you could uh, blow hella clouds out of one of those giant crayons they use for transporting things. <laughs> <laughs> that looks more like a vape, though. You know, even Worf knows you can't look cool doing that. Yeah. Dude, I was in an Uber in L.A., long story, for like 90 minutes that I'm not going to tell, but uh, he was vaping while driving. <laughs> it really pissed me off. Yeah. I don't think that's right. You, that's what you get for doing an Uber, Adam. I know. I need to quit Uber. Gotta quit that Uber. You gotta save that for in-between drives, I think. Yeah, that's not really uh, that's not really good customer service. That's not what what the uh, the sharing economy is based on, you know. I feel like he was doing it very like flamboyantly, like in an "ask me what flavor my vape juice is" kind of way. <laughs> but I wasn't going to ask him. I didn't no. give a shit. Picard really comes around in this conversation, though. Like he starts pissed and becomes incredibly lenient by the end of the conversation. Like the. He comes in looking like he's going to put a boot in Worf's ass and winds up giving him a previa and saying, like, As of this moment, Mr. Worf, you are on leave. Figure out what, what you need to figure out, W slash R slash TK less. It also contradicts Picard's feelings of, I think, last season's cliffhanger, where Picard's like, we don't grant leaves of absence, dude. So it's either here or there. Pick a side. And then, as you'll remember, Worf chose the other side. So yeah. I guess uh, I guess he's become more permissive. A couple of policy announcements. Uh, <laughs> we've changed our policy with regards to leaves of absence. If you uh, if you become bad at your duties, you can uh, easily apply for a leave of absence now. If Worf knew that he could have gotten that leave just by setting fire to his quarters, I think he would have done that a long time ago. <laughs> Worf is very willing to destroy things. To yeah. advance his career. His balls chair must be stinky now. <laughs> Do you think he has to change quarters after smoking it out like that? You no, can't get fire smell out of a house once there's a fire in it, man. I'm wondering if that fire smell is better than the taint funk that is on the balls chair prior also, to this episode. Where was Alexander? Probably school. <laughs> Worf was in there getting smoked out for like... 14 hours. Yeah. 
how many terrible ashtrays can you make in that amount of time if you're Alexander? If you're a parent on the entrepreneur, could you like go down to the holodeck, set up a version of your quarters and a version of yourself to look after your kid for a while? Oh, that's that would be the best babysitter, wouldn't it? Yeah. The kid it's it's a seamless situation for the kid. <laughs> they wake up one morning and they as far as they know are in the same quarters they're always in. You know, mom is bumping into potted plants and stuff, but mostly she's basically the same. Wow. And and Alexander's probably young enough not to be able to tell the difference. Someone on Twitter <laughs> called Alexandra Dwarf. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> like D apostrophe Wharf? Yeah. That's good. Dwarf. Wharf. It's, it's a fun portmanteau. <laughs> So we get a very bad matte painting of uh, the Temple of Boreth. This is maybe the lowest res matte painting in the entire series. It looks like one of those like miniature paintings that you buy on vacation. You know, like some guy's got a little little card table set up on the sidewalk outside of some tourist attraction. It looks like one of those mountaintop towns in Skyrim. It basically looks the same inside here as the inside of Worf's quarters. Like, he did a great job of reproducing this this effect. Right. And it's just as sweaty. Like, there's a bunch of Klingons sitting around doing chants. They're like, it's like a religious site. It's like doing, it's like doing the Hajj if you're a Klingon. It seems a little uh, Buddhist monastery-esque as well. Yeah. They're waiting for Kalos to return. Like, Kalos is the is the kind of, like, ultimate badass of Klingon mythology and he like was prophesied to return to uh the land of the living from Stovakor and lead the Klingons in some kind of like second great empire and so this is this is where he's supposed to reappear so they've built this kind of religious installation surrounding it and they sit there and chant and like hope that uh they can like hallucinate visions of him in the in the firelight and we we see an example of this right like there's like a little kid there like a you know 17 year old Klingon who is claiming that he's having a vision and it really kind of like continues to erode Worf's sense of faith because he's looking at this kid and it you know the kid is is having a totally subjective experience that can't be verified by any outside party so Worf just looks at him, and it's it's pretty clear from Dorn's performance that he doesn't believe this kid, and it kind of it kind of like puts an end to the experiment for him. He's given this ten days. He's inhaled a lot of smoke in that amount of time. He could probably <laughs> use some fresh air. He probably reeks like campfire too. Yeah, and yeah, all, with all that hair, all that hair, oof, all those all those little nooks and crannies in his loaf are just full of of uh, particles from the smoke. Dry shampoo is not going to take care of this problem. He's got to, like, go full mott with it. Yeah. Well, uh, the head rabbi from from the temple comes in, and he's like, Worf, what are, what are you doing? You're packing up? And Worf is like, I have had no visions. I have received no insight. There is nothing here for me. And the rabbi, Koroth, really talks Worf into, like, putting putting one more effort in. Like going back and continuing his his chant, and uh, he basically ap- appeals to him on a like it's shocking to see the son of Moog not seeing something through, like fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's weird how Worf kind of can oscillate between being an unknown to like the most famous Klingon. Yeah. Like, everybody seems to either have never heard of him or know exactly who he is in his entire family history. Do you think Worf's evangelizing to that planet of half Romulans and half Klingons, was that then, in retrospect, more hollow than even we thought it was at the time? I mean, if Worf is having this crisis of spirituality, was that just a burlesque all along? I don't know. I mean, like, I, I kind of got the sense that, like, in talking about it, it kind of, like, crystallized in his head as being something that was really meaningful to him. Yeah. But it also, like, you know, like, he had his bar mitzvah, and he's 
we've definitely seen him do rituals and shit before. So, you know, it's maybe it's one of those things where it just kind of like constantly self reaffirms. Like Mm. if I had a more like authentic religious experience to compare this to, I would would have something more interesting to say about it. Mm. Yeah. Karath is like, why don't you just give it one more go and maybe like double the dose. (laughs) It's twice as sweaty. Yeah. So Worf goes down there and he uh and he gives it one more go and sure enough, Kalis appears. I am Kalis. Kalis looks amazing. <laughs> He's got like a furry jacket. Like you know those bomber jackets with the fur on the inside? His is like turned inside out. Yeah, yeah. And his loaf is the most rugged loaf I think we've seen. Yeah, this is the loaf to end all loafs. He's got like cauliflower loaf, like <laughs> like how wrestlers get cauliflower ear. It's all craggy and asymmetrical and yeah. like really deeply crevassed. Yeah, how did they make this mold? It's almost as if modern Klingons have more sleek loaf and old school Klingons have the more rugged, battered loaf. I don't know if that's canonical or not, but he looks ancient because of it, you know? Yeah. Worf stands up and in, in, in his reverie, like, reaches out and touches Galus and is, like, totally blown away to find substance in the, uh, in the vision he thinks he's having. Kalis's whole vibe is really interesting to me. Like, he does not present a returning hero vibe that I might have expected from a deity. Like, he's, he's almost as curious as he is powerful. He's sort of a raconteur a little bit in that, like, he's holding court and he's telling stories and people really enjoy his company. But there are a few people with some skepticism in the camp. And one of those ends up being Worf. For being the the first guy who touched him, Worf ends up being the guy in the back of the room, just sort of judging for a while. I think he can't turn off his Starfleet mind here. This is something I really could identify with. Like, this is this guy is making a pretty extraordinary... Uh, claim of who he is and what he represents and while that is exactly what Worf went there looking for he's like wait a second like let's see some proof yeah it's interesting he got exactly what he wanted and now he's not happy the way that and this will you know come to be a pattern in this episode the way that verification is is derived for most claims of anything in the Klingon world is sword fight. <laughs> so, so Kalos goes and gets his sword and like, he says some like mythology about how the sword was made and all the priests are like, Whoa, we never told anybody about that. We didn't put that part in the news, in the news reports. The idea of this, I thought, was fascinating to me. There's information about this Batleth that is only known to, like, the high priests of Klingon. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it's kept that way is so if someone claims to be Kalis, they can prove or disprove their identity based on that trivia. Yeah. And I was like, man... Makes me wonder, like, if you if you believe in Jesus, I wonder if if there's Pope knowledge about like of the millions of people who claim to be Jesus, like mm-hmm. if there's a bit of of knowledge, one of them could say that the Pope would be like, "Holy shit, this is the guy." <laughs> yeah. And the story is fucking great. Like his batleth is made out of volcano hair. <laughs> he, he like, yeah, you know, you guys know how I made this. I cut off a lock of hair dunked it in volcano lava, cooled it in a river, and then it turned into a sword. What a great legend. Yeah, it's fun when uh, when a writer sets a task like that for themselves and totally knocks it out of the park. They're, they're writing mythology here, like, on the fly, and it, it's actually working for me. It is a guiding principle of a dark meeting face. Now, you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that. Worf is still like not totally bought in, so he goes and gets his tricorder, and Kalos is like, "Yeah, fucking scan me. I don't care." <laughs> and uh, he scans him, and he's like, "Oh, you're, you're a Klingon. Like you're at least part of what you claim to be." And so, like that, that kind of like precipitates the uh, the fight. And and Kalos can like 
can really handle himself in a fight. Like, this might be the most energetic Klingon combat we've ever seen, because they can go to, like, some wide shots, and these guys are really, like, swinging on each other. There's a real difference in fighting style between them. Worf is very fluid. His use of the batleth is is very well practiced, and it seems like Kalis is just, like, belting home runs with his. Like, yeah. he's taking big-ass swings, which is super fun. Yeah, they have... Those contrasting styles fight. Totally, yeah. Which is not, like, necessarily easy to do when you're making up an entire fighting style, you know? Yeah. But but Worf has has a style, and... and uh, Midway through the fight, Kalis just sort of stops and starts laughing. <laughs> and the appeal that he makes to the people watching this fight is, like, isn't fighting fun? Like... <laughs> Isn't it great to be Klingon? Like, we should really be enjoying this. War. It's fantastic. We could be fighting to the death, and maybe we will a little later, but let's just appreciate for a moment how awesome this was. And everyone just sort of, like, joins together in song, like, really appreciating the idea of being Klingon in a way that that seems super enjoyable. Raising their beer steins. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so often you see, like, the dour angry Klingon guy where like there is some joy to be had in this Klingon life you know it's real mm-hmm. piratey and fun yeah <laughs> yeah it is piratey <laughs> well for some reason the Klingons are not interested in doing the uber mission of getting Kalos back to the home world so the entrepreneur gets uh gets the call they pick up Worf and Kalos and I guess like the the head rabbi and a couple of the other holy men, right? Yeah, there's a, there are some disciples. There's there's this interesting McLaughlin group where if they're like, want. so, Worf, is this Kalos? Or like, what is going on? <laughs> they're, they're very reticent to wrap their heads around the idea that this might, might be who he claims he is. And Worf has been pretty well indoctrinated into this. Yeah, like, by now. I mean, they go around the, the table and... Each of them has their moment of skepticism until they finally arrive at Worf, and Worf is like, I know everyone at this table is saying that this isn't Kalis, but what my theory presupposes is... <laughs> he could be the real Kalis. <laughs> at, some, at some point, people are going to start hating that joke, but then yeah. <laughs> we'll keep doing it long enough that they'll start loving it again. I'm I'm really playing the long game for the comeback around on that yeah. one. It's like a dead air joke that takes 80 episodes to get through. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they meet up with Gowron. Gowron has like flown out from the home world to to meet up with them. And Gowron explains like I I uh, I called this Uber because I don't want this imposter to be around any other Klingons. Like I think that it's super dangerous that he's claiming to be the leader of our world when we don't know who he is and like, Hey, look, I'm the chancellor. I have a lot to lose if this guy becomes the head of state. And, uh, I'm, I want to be like, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. So check out this, this, uh, Swiss army knife I brought. He is far more politically savvy than I gave him credit for because the case he's making is like, I got to nip this shit in the bud. Because yeah, he's far more politically savvy than anyone with a David Clark number of medals on their cloak <laughs> should yeah. be. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you can't kill an idea. And believe me, I've I've killed a lot of things and people. And ideas are the hardest, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a Klingon kills things every time they eat, right? They're, right. Every time, every time they chew, they're killing something. <laughs> yeah, and so when given the choice of like, the idea of Kalis coming back to the homeworld and Gowron going out to him, Gowron's like, easy choice. I'm going to go out there and try to nip this thing. Gowron really has, like, labial hood loaf. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he? He he does that thing that uh, that people who have their photograph taken do quite a bit, which is, like, really reduces the amount of, like, neck fold. He's, like, looking down at the camera quite a bit mm. like looking down at his nose <laughs> he's he's very practiced yeah well you know he's his a public good side figure. is above yeah <laughs> they uh they scan the swiss army knife that he's brought and uh i guess it's like the knife that 
It's a knife that has Kalos's blood on it. So they'll yeah, be able to Yeah, it's a museum to, knife. They'll be able to tell based on a comparative DNA study whether this is the guy or not. And uh and so Beverly scans this into the computer and a fanciful animation starts at him. Oh, Mr. DNA, where did you come from? From your blood. It looks to me like you're trying to prove. <laughs> is Mr. DNA also clippy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would, would you like my help formatting your DNA? We'll put some frog DNA in to fill in the holes. It looks like you've inserted a knife into the disk drive. <laughs> that can cause permanent computer damage. <laughs> that violates the warranty. <laughs> Beverly's like, we always have to sit through this video whenever we do a DNA test. There. That should do it. I'm sorry. I wish there was a way around it. <laughs> uh. Yeah, the computer does that thing. It uh, it lines up the two DNA strands. It flashes a couple times a big green check mark. The genetic patterns are identical. Perfect match. So this is like, you know, complicated news for Gowron, right? <laughs> Like, not really what he wanted to hear. Yeah, uh, he tests positive for a Kalos. We're having a Kalos. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm ready to be a Kalos. <laughs> and then, like, Worf is trying to get to know Kalos better, too. And uh, one of the ways he does this is make some Warnog for them to share. And Kalos is like, what is this? And Worf explains that the replicators don't do a great job with the Worf, with the Warnog. Yeah, the sugar to flavor packet ratio is a little off. <laughs> yeah, right. They, you uh, go to some starships and they really cut back on the sugar. Yeah, Kalos plays this off by saying like, oh yeah, I've been like a being of pure light for such a long time. I've, uh, I've totally forgot what food and drink tastes like. And this kind of provokes... Worf to ask him, like, what being a being of pure light is like? And Galus just, like, doesn't really want to get into it. He's like, I do not have those answers. It's a real great dodge, like a savvy dodge that that a quote-unquote psychic would give to someone (laughs) asking a question. He's like, yeah, you know, like, when I'm in the afterlife, I can experience the afterlife fully, but... While I am in this form, I know only about this world. So, sorry... (laughs) Yeah, Worf's like, you've forgotten a lot, buddy. Yeah. And Kalos is like, yeah, but be that as it may, we're building a future (laughs) Worf, and you're going to be a big part of it. Yeah, he sort of wants to give him a religious field promotion. Yeah. Lieutenant Commander Holy Man. Kalos tells this story a little later to illustrate the idea of how disbelief doesn't help the disbeliever. Because the story he tells is like, yeah, a guy, a guy thought one day that he was stronger than the winds of change. And so he stayed outside of his home during a storm. And that storm ended up killing him. It's a lot like now. And what's going to happen to anyone who doesn't believe him, Kalos? And Gowron's like, cool story, bro. You remember what that guy looked like? Or what city it was? Or what the name of the storm was, even? And Kalos is like, eh. I do not remember. That was a long time ago. Unforge. Anyway, uh, my point is, uh, don't stay out in the storm, because uh, you want to be following me instead of dying out in the wind. Yeah. And this doesn't hold any sort of water to anyone. I think this tips Worf off, too. Worf is like, for a guy who is supposed to be a religious deity, you sure are short on the details. And and Gowron is ready to fight Kalos. Like, he's... He's feeling like real disrespected and not, yeah. you know, he like wants, he, he sees this as a, as an imposter who is going to further destabilize what uh, we are being led to believe is an already like fairly precarious uh, balance of power in the Klingon empire. So he wants to nip this in the bud or batleth this in the chest, as it were. <laughs> and, uh, and so they, they like pop their knives out and get, get fighting and uh it's it's another like pretty epic fight scene like they're it's like really well choreographed like really intense big action and it's like like they're swinging on each other and 
Gowron gets the upper hand. He like knocks Kalos's knife away, knocks Kalos down on the on the like throne pedestal, and is about to plunge a knife into him. And Worf stops him. I really miss this kind of fighting, don't you? Like yeah. wide establishing shot, punch ins that are no closer than like waist to head. Like you, you know exactly what's happening at all times. You can totally keep the action straight in your head. There's no like copping out by doing thirty cuts. Yeah, in the 10 shape seconds. of the space is well established. It's not so far away that every swing is just hysterically implausible. Yeah, I felt like some true fight nostalgia seeing like there wasn't just one fight like this in the episode. The the earlier fight was the same way between Worf and Kalis, like nice and wide, like a lot of of movement around the room. You just don't get that anymore. My love is a the holy men like spirit the defeated Kalos back to one of the staterooms and they're like Worf follows him and they're doing like spin zone they're like all right how are we gonna how are we gonna spin this like this is like everything is not fucked here like just because the greatest warrior of all time lost in a pretty like basic Klingon fight uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that his claim to being the rightful heir to the throne is uh, is wrong. So, like, like, talk to me, people. Give me some ideas. What are we doing here? What are we doing? Okay, okay. We'll fire the investigator. How about that? <laughs> That's why you're the press secretary, boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> Worf is disgusted by this. Yeah, he's like, he's are you like, fucking kidding me? <laughs> Yeah, this is some really shameful shit. You guys are not not the rugged-ass Klingons you claim to be. Tell me what's really going on here, or I'm like, I'm going to go on, meet the press, and put you guys on blast. And they're like, all right, here's what's going on. Like, we don't love Gowron that much. We feel like the Empire is not really what it should be. And we finally realized that we had enough technology to clone Kales and implant him with the with the memories of the original. So this is a this is a fake. And there's a great like there's a great little close up on Kales where he turns and he's like What is a clone? <laughs> it's a great moment. It's tragic too. It's tragic and yet Worf is laughing. Like he's laughing to Stop himself crying, I think. Yeah. Intense. Kalis was not taking care of his teeth during the thousands of years that he was in the uh, in the other side, right? There's no orthodontia in the afterlife, Ben. <laughs> Stove, of course, dentists are just really bad at what they do. Yeah. They do not prescribe to fluoridated water in Stovacor. <laughs> yeah, it's poisoning our uh, precious bodily fluids, Adam. Yeah. The conclusion that they come to from this damage control is like, we've got this perfect clone. He had real Kalis memories inserted into his brains. Like, he thinks he's Kalis. A lot of people think he's think he's Kalis. Like, is there some utility to be had from this figure? Like, is there anything he could do, or do we just need to put him in the incinerator? Yeah, and Worf, like, winds up, like, having a pretty intense conversation with Data about this. And Data's been kind of curious about Worf's stance on this whole thing from a standpoint of, like, I find your faith in this man really interesting because I require proof about everything, I believe, as an android. And Data comes to see Worf in this moment, and Worf is, like, basically in the pits. He's at at the lowest point because he's, like, realized that the guy he thought was like basically the messiah is in fact a a clone made by a bunch of nerd klingons and data's like well hey man like maybe what you need to do is just choose to believe that he is the messiah like that's how i became more than merely a machine so i i chose to believe that i could i could become more than the programming that i was booted up with and uh, that's really inspiring to Worf, which I really liked. I like when Data and Worf can like get down on like being having some 
having some commonalities on this crew. This this show occasionally uses data for exposition in ways that are like there's nothing inarticulate about what he's doing. It is just a little bit ham-fisted though, you know? Like because Worf is so inarticulate about his feelings because his conflicts are so uh, quiet and filled with solitude, like he needs a foil to help him feel what he's truly feeling. Yeah. And that person in this case is Data. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's hard to have this conversation without another person in the room, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that it's Data, you know? Like, a more interesting character than maybe Picard or Riker would have been in this scene. I guess I just don't see the parallel between Data's leap of faith being his feelings of humanity and Worf's leap of faith when it comes to a religious figure being alive or not and what the implications of that are. They they seem too disparate for me. Maybe we should write a little letter to the writers and see if we can get them to revise this episode a bit. (laughs) It's not too late, Ben. (laughs) Dear sir or madam... (laughs) I am a fan of your program, Star Trek The Next Generation Season (laughs) 6. I've noticed some things I would like to change about this program, however. You're sounding a lot like a few of the letters that we've gotten recently about shows already in the can. (laughs) Dear Ben and Adam, here is a list of things you got wrong. (laughs) I don't want to become what I hate the most. You don't want to become what you have set out to destroy? Yeah. I Uh, withdraw all my criticism. Yeah, this is just a praise show now. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. So the big, like, climactic scene in this Klingon episode is not a battle. It's not a fight. It is... A Klingon McLaughlin group. Issue one. They uh, they get Gowron and Worf and the rabbis and Kalos together. And Worf kind of talks them into this idea of, like, let's not make Kalos king of everything forever, you know. Let's not make him Kim, Kim Jong-un. Let's make him, like, a, a figurehead, you know. Like, let's make him the emperor, and he can be, like, a figure that inspires Klingons. Whereas Gowron will still be the, you know, the prime minister. He'll he'll run the show. Kalos will just go like, you know, cut ribbons and kiss babies and shit. Yeah, sounds like a pretty good deal for Kalos. Yeah, Kalos is like, all right, so I just get to be rich and I don't have to do anything. My Chill. question is, what happens when Kalos dies? Like he's already he he already looks like a fifty year old man, you know? Yeah. Like, in the short term, it feels like they have a good plan, but in the longer term, I'm not so sure. I also just wonder about the, like, is is, is Worf really the guy who has his, his faith shattered and then goes like, but I do want everybody else to believe the lie that I know not to be true. I found that strange, strangely not in keeping with his character as well. Like Especially with what he's okay been through. This. You know? Yeah. All His the... faith has been directly challenged, and now he's super willing to, like, roll out a faith challenger on a much broader scale. And also, like, I mean, he had to live live a lie for years when he was discommended, you know, because theoretically his father was a traitor, like... It's kind of he's kind of like subjecting all Klingons to the thing. Maybe it's like revenge in a weird way. Maybe it's Omerta. Maybe he doesn't even know what he's doing. <laughs> Worf on autopilot. He's still yeah. super high from that <laughs> first scene in the episode. Yeah, like he would not pass a drug test at this point. That's for sure. It's a good thing he's not looking for a new job. At the end of the day, I feel like this is something you do with utter certainty. And he sees Kalos off. Like they go down to the transporter room and he, um, you know, is... is, is saying adios to Kalos and Kalos is like you should be really proud of what you've done here today and Worf is like he basically says like I'm not so sure my heart is empty again an appropriate amount of conflict in him which is good yeah did you like the episode Adam I'm fairly sure I liked the episode I liked Kalos is what I liked 
there were so many good parts of it. The world building here was super strong. Yeah. The the building of the mythology was interesting and specific. Like they really could have glossed over the mythology, but instead they they chose to like give us give us like real fun details to Kalos and and his legend. I thought that was great. But I think you have to conclude a story like this stronger because the consequences are massive. Yeah. And none of the people in that Klingon McLaughlin group really seem to grasp what those may or may not be. They're like, well, let's just make them emperor and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about the Klingon Empire from the writer's room perspective on this show is, like, you can utterly change it, like, from season to season. Like, you can you can have episodes that have, like, the most broad-ranging possible implications for what's going on in the Klingon Empire, and then the next episode, like, it's not <laughs> consequential at all. Yeah. There's nothing stopping Gowron from alien-queening Kalos on the way back to uh, the Klingon <laughs> homeworld, you know? Like, yeah. Does does Kalis make it home on this trip? I really don't know. <laughs> I don't think we can rule it out. Yeah, Worf writes him a letter like like a couple of weeks later. Hey man, just uh, wanted to see how you're settling in over there. <laughs> Hope you like Kronos. Um, if you ever need a recommendation for you know restaurants or whatever, like my my uh, my buddy Captain Picard has spent a lot of time in some of the ethnic neighborhoods, in, <laughs> and uh, can can uh, pro- probably gives you some cool recommendations. Yeah, and just like no response. Yeah, it's gonna be disappointing. Yep. <laughs> did you like the episode? Uh, I did. I think that um, your criticisms are all like well taken, but uh, I had fun watching it. I guess. Great loaf. Good loaf. All-star loaf. loaf. Speaking of messages that actually do get through to their intended recipients, Ben, do we have any Priority One messages? Uh, We do have Priority One messages, Adam, and I think we should read them in the next segment. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is from your wife, and it is for my dearest Wesley, the boy, my husband. (laughs) Couple of parentheticals there. That means you need to multiply them, right? (laughs) Multiply the boy by my husband. Message goes like this. Happy birthday and happy graduation to my number one. With degree in hand, you've proven yourself far better than your namesake at completing your education without killing anyone. (laughs) Now let's get as drunk as Shimoda and then retire to quarters for some Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, if you know what I mean. Whoa. I love you and I'm so proud of you. I am amazed that it took your wife to realize the erotic potential of Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Yeah. Why did we never come up with that? All we do is fucking boner jokes and shit. (laughs) Wesley, what I'm trying to say is I'm really jealous of your wife. And congratulations also. Ben, his arms wide. (laughs) Shaka when the walls fell, Adam. Yeah. You know what? You want to keep those walls up, Ben. Uh, That's how you prevent pregnancy. (laughs) Jeez. Adam, we have a second message here. It's from Mike, and it's to Graham. It goes like this. Congratulations on your upcoming trill bonding. I'll always be available to hop in the Delta Flyer or, if unavailable, a Previa to go retrieve onions. Blooming. Hot. And other Australian delicacies, which we'll both proceed to eat with the vigor of which Riker consumes gah. Here's to the finest crew at 740. Engage. I really miss seeing Riker eating stuff. Yeah. I I just felt very nostalgic thinking of that. I can really picture him lowering some bloomin' onion pieces into his mouth, though. It's really the only way to keep all the grease off of your beard, right? I haven't had a bloomin' onion in a long time. It sounds good. It's good eats. The trouble with a bloomin' onion is you have to go to an Outback Steakhouse to get one. (laughs) That is a major barrier for me. I went to, I've been uh, to one Outback Steakhouse. I was like 
probably like 11 at the time. It took so much lobbying to get my parents to consent to ordering a blue and Onion. I was like, this is the only thing I care about getting here. <laughs> it's my birthday. I don't want a cake. I want this blue and Onion. <laughs> hey, Ben, can you promise me one of the dates that were out on this tour coming up in August? Can we at some point get a blue and Onion? In. That'd be fun, right? Yeah. Let's do it. I'll have been to the outback in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the one in uh, Milwaukee, I guess. I'm just guessing. That Milwaukee outback is dope. (laughs) It's one of the best. Yeah. Our thanks to your wife and Mike for sending those Priority One messages in. Uh, If you would like to send a Priority One message of your own, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They are one of the great ways to keep this show in production. Thanks, guys. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. Um, I had originally written down a diegetic Shimoda, but I was clicking around in the uh, IMDb of this episode, and I... I have to give a special non-diegetic Shimoda this week for uh, one of the Klingon pilgrims in this episode is played by an actress named Dee Griffin Scott, and her IMDb bio just cracked me up. I'm going to read like the first two sentences (laughs) to give you a little taste. It... it, uh, It gets a special citation in IMDb bio that is written in the third person and yet clearly written by the person it is about. (laughs) Dee has a unique perspective and 20 years of experience. She was was a stand-in for... She was a stand-in for the most beautiful and talented stars of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Is well-respected and talented herself, but she was not a threat because she wasn't interested in upstaging other actors and does have star quality and presence. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It basically goes on like that. That is sort of like a a poorly written resume cover letter. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like if Trump wrote his own IMDb bio. Expert proficiency in Microsoft Office applications. (laughs) It looks like you're trying to write an IMDb bio. (laughs) Wow. Like, I would never want to besmirch the noble profession of stand-ins, but on the the other hand, Ben, like, what is the difference between a a good stand-in and a great (laughs) stand-in? I really don't know. Yeah. I think I'd like to find out, though. Not wanting to upstage the most beautiful and talented people, that's for sure. That's a big, big part. Adam, did you have a drunk Shimoda? Yeah, I mean, I always fall for the old ensigns. <laughs> and seeing this guy on camera in the background was like, not only is he a 55-year-old ensign man, but like he doesn't know how to act naturally, which is the <laughs> best part. Like, the last time we ran into a super old ensign, she was in engineering, and she had, like, lines, and she was great, yeah. and, like, I could see a world for her. But this guy, this guy is, like, total front-zip, middle-aged ensign guy, and, like, people are talking about him, and he does not know how to react to people talking about him. <laughs> I feel Maybe. like his direction was, like look like you're being kept at work for longer than you think you should be. And he just, he he cannot engage that part of his mind. Like, he, he tries to go method, and there's just nothing to access there. I feel like he might be, like, actually the captain of another Starfleet vessel, and Q <laughs> is fucking with him and is like, what if you were on third shift security on the Enterprise, and you were only an ensign? <laughs> He's been tapestried. Like, yeah. like that's the guy. You just been tapestried. <laughs> like he chose to stay instead of getting stabbed. <laughs> oh, Turns man. out I'm a night owl. Yeah. Yeah, I could get used to this. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. 
But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is Season 6, Episode 24, Second Chances, returning to the site of an eight-year-old mission. Riker encounters an identical double of himself who tries to rekindle a relationship with Troy. Do you remember this episode, Adam? This is one of the great episodes, right? Is it not? I think so. I feel like it is. Oh, yeah. You're not wrong. This has got to be one of the great episode pitches, too. Mm -hmm. Like, single line pitch. What if there were two Rikers? I yeah. sold in the room. I mean, it's sold in the room, but yet, like, there is such a long list of Star Trek episodes that have a great single line premise, and then they like forget to do all of the fun things that there would be yeah. to do with a premise like that. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if they like actually rise to the challenge of this single line premise or not. Yeah, I feel like the the showrunner needs to scold the writer at this point and be like, you must fulfill this single line premise's promise. Mm-hmm. Like, make sure you see this thing through. <laughs> I'm excited to watch this episode again. Me too. I remember it being seen through. Yeah, I, I vaguely like it. 
Well, should we uh, should we adjourn for the day and return sometime soon with that episode? Yeah, I think that sounds great. Uh, one way that our viewers see this very podcast through is through the many ways that they can support the show, Ben. You can go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the show and also gain access to our special Crimson Tide episode. Yeah, and our special Star Trek Generations episode. Yeah, got a couple extras there for people that support the show. Uh, We've got merch online, too. Tickets still on sale, I believe, at this point for a number of our tour dates. So make sure you check those out at gach.biz slash tour. Yeah. Is that uh, that correct? (laughs) gach.biz slash tour doesn't go to anything, as far as I know. (laughs) That would have been a great one. I, no, I could set that up by the time this goes out. All right. Um, we're, what we're doing is we're just like forgiving all the mistakes I make on Mike. Like it's a new website every time <laughs> that you have to then create redirects for. Yep. That's Sorry, how it dude. works. Don't sweat it, dude. Well, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusia for a lot of the other music you hear on the program. And check in with us online. We're all over social media. It's a a real fun hang. Uh, And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation where Adam and I have slightly different facial hair than you're used to. In my case, it would be having any at all. You know, the person who's into that is into some really weird ASMR, right? (laughs) Some toy-based ASMR. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.